Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of The Sirens of Scream, the geek podcast that proves sometimes dead is better. I'm Melissa Megan, and I'm here with Jackie DeVore. Hello. And Sierra Hawk. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so, uh, ladies, what have you been up to in the two weeks since I saw you last? I can't believe we're up to nine episodes, personally. That's, I know. Well, that's I, nuts. I'm excited for number ten. It'll be a big deal. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. It, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, and which is strange mm-hmm. to me because we do every two weeks, so it should feel longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've all had a uh, we've all had kind of really super busy, stressful couple of weeks. Yep. So big time. Yeah, I just started a new job at Microsoft. Yay! So congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's How's it's it okay so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't like started doing real work yet. It's mostly just getting to know the the procedures and the building and all that kind of stuff. So right on. we'll see how I feel about it in like a month. Is that is that uh, right in in Seattle? No, it's a like a forty five minute commute, which Ew. is really really sucky. But I just listen to podcasts the whole time, which is fun. There you go. There you go. I have nothing fun going on lately, but Melissa, I heard you went to the Star Trek convention. I did. I can't, I didn't even think to to mention that either. So thanks, Jackie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I went with, uh, my talking comics friends. Um, and it was my first Star Trek convention. I've been to a lot of comic cons, but I've never been to a purely a very specific. Yeah. Star Trek one. It is a whole nother level of nerdy. That was so much yeah. fun. <laughs> Um, and really different because people, while a lot of people are in cosplay, they're not really obvious costumes. They're kind of just mm-hmm. uniforms. So yeah. <laughs> it was strange to walk around and not, like, not feel like people were in costume, but they were. Um, that is kind of strange. Yeah, it just, it's like, it almost like was easy to confuse the cosplayers with the people who were working there who were also in uniforms. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was really cool. And, and, uh, just to, I don't want to go into it too far, but the, couple of the great things I loved was seeing, um, we saw a lot of families there and we saw a lot of young people wearing like original, um, original series cosplay, which was kind of cool because, you know, I think, um, I don't know, I might possibly be the oldest person on this show and the original series was way before my time. So, um, I thought it was cool to see people like younger than me cosplaying some of the freaky aliens and you know of course a lot of homage being paid to spock this year yeah um, of course so it was great and uh and i got to meet Riker, which was nice like, <laughs> yeah uh jonathan frakes which was a, a kind of a weird lifelong thing that i've wanted to do mm-hmm. so i had like the weirdest crush on him when i was a teenager yeah I, it, yeah <laughs> it doesn't even make sense right because he's just like the worst sci-fi perv ever but yeah <laughs> Um, I don't know. Captain Kirk was a pretty big perv, but it, he was, there's mm-hmm. something about Riker that he was like, I feel like if you talk to him in real life, you'd just be really skeeved out by him, but somehow. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Somehow and of course, on screen it was okay. <laughs> when you're a teenager and all your girlfriends are like swooning over Johnny Depp and all this other stuff, and I'm like, have you seen Star Trek though? <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about beards? <laughs> yeah. He he's still pretty handsome. He's he's a little gray, but he's still got a nice beard going on, and he's still very charming, and still does the uh, leg over the chair. Oh, <laughs> <Sit. gosh. Okay. laughs> Even on a stage when he's sitting on a couch with other people, he still managed oh, to wow. do the leg swing. So 
uh, yeah, I met him, and then I also met um, Peter Weller, which was more for uh, my husband's sake because he's a big RoboCop fan. Oh, so, cool. yeah, I was like, oh, RoboCop's here. I need to grab that opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't Not know. every day you get to meet RoboCop. That's no, true. and it's funny because I don't think anybody else in the line to see him was actually there for his Star Trek appearance, which is in the <laughs> very, <Aww>. very recent <laughs> new Star Trek films, but everyone in line was talking about RoboCop, so. That's funny. <laughs> So it was a blast, and it was very much to celebrate the uh, 50th anniversary of Star Trek, which um, is actually is today the 8th? I think it's today. It's today's nope. the 11th. Today's, oh, okay. Oh, so one day you're not supposed to Were you to abducted by the, aliens? Like, damn. Or... <laughs> I may have been. I may have been. For I, days? <laughs> I was, I've been on the Enterprise since the 8th, celebrating, <laughs> <laughs> drinking Romulan ale, and now I can't remember the last four days, so it's okay. Um... <laughs> So yeah, it's the anniversary, and um, if you guys are into Star Trek at all, you should check out Megan Earn Media right now, because we're doing like tons of Star Trek stuff over there. All kinds of fun articles and, and crap. Um, so we have a interesting topic tonight, and I'm excited to get started on that. Um, we don't have a guest tonight. We wanted to keep it just kind of chill and easy with the three of us, because we, we have a lot of guests lined up. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. We're just going to have some fun and chat about some scary things that we enjoy for for tonight. Um, but as usual, we're going to start out with what we're loving now, which is when we bring you guys some really fun recommendations each time, um, share some things that we've really been uh, obsessing over lately and that we want you to know about. Um, so, Sierra, why don't you start us off tonight? Sure. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about, uh, I, would, I just watched the movie The House of the Devil last night, which is an older movie. It came out in 2009, so it's not new new i'm sure anyone listening to this podcast has probably already seen it and they're like jesus sierra we watched that years ago (laughs) um but it's by the director ty west who is somebody that i like a lot and i never really think of him uh and then i'm always surprised by his movies they're always really fun we were actually um, talking about him in the last uh, episode because he did a little segment in uh, VHS. Yeah, he did uh, the second Honeymoon one. Nice. Uh, and he's also directed a film called The Roost, Trigger Man, House of the Devil, which I am super into right this minute. Um, the Innkeepers and The Sacrament, which is about the Jonestown um, suicide. Uh, that's his most recent one. And that one's on Netflix. So you should definitely go watch that one on Netflix and House of the Devil is on Hulu, I think, or it was on Amazon. But Did you pick this one because it's about a babysitting job? Hint, hint. What? Uh, kind of. My next recommendation <laughs> is a lot more on point with the topic tonight. Okay. Um, but I was just I was just really excited by this movie because uh, it's filmed in a pretty old style. Um, and it's uh, I think it's set, supposed to be set in like the 70s or 80s. Um, and it's filmed with the same kind of camera techniques and, uh, the visual quality of it is really nice. So it's not like, uh, filmed today and like made for 3d, like all of the other movies right now and like just set back in time, but it's also made like it's back in time, which I thought was really, really beautiful. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. It was a nice little, a little gem that I had seen a lot and just never watched yet. And then I finally watched it and I was really glad I did. Um, and then the other thing that I want to talk about tonight is this game called Dark. It's spelled D-A-R-Q. Um, and it's not out yet. It's coming out on um, Steam. The last thing I read was it was coming out early next year. Um, but it's about you play this little boy, 
relevant to our topic tonight. Um, and you are, uh, you find out that you're dreaming. And once you find out that you're dreaming, you can kind of manipulate the world around you, but everything starts to be like really nightmarish. And it turns into this like crazy, like 2d and 3d and everything's like moving really weird and physics doesn't work. And like, there are monsters, of course. Um, and I wanted to read this description on their website. Uh, the game is designed to be a moving artistic experience. The art style of Dark is a juxtaposition of opposites. It combines 3D locations and 2D drawn characters, beauty with horror, elegance with roughness. The beauty element becomes the means of seduction, inviting the player to enter the world of Lloyd's Nightmare. So I just think that sounds super cool, and I'm super excited to play it. Yeah, I've seen the trailer for it, and it looks gorgeous. Like, the art style for it looks really incredible, so I'm, yeah. I'm interested in that one, too. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to have a really cool story and, like, a really interesting concept, and then even if that falls flat, the art looks really neat, too, so... Yeah. You've been killing it'll... it with the uh, indie horror game recommendations I, And it's lately. funny because out of the three of us, I'm super not the gamer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I thought about that tonight when I saw your recommendations written down. I was like, look at her with another game. Yeah. Well, it's just because PAX came out. And so I was talking to my friends uh, who went to PAX and they told me about it. Um, this, and I'm I... definitely going to play it. I haven't seen the trailer for this, but I'm just looking at the gallery right now and it does look super mm -hmm. creepy. Um, it looks I... really like Tim Burton-y. Yeah. Yeah, like like Tim Burton mixed with um Edward Limbo. Gorey, some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very like simplistic and shadowy. Yeah. Um, I also like that there's a note on here that says um emphasis on sound. Some parts of the game involve mm -hmm. navigating the environment in complete darkness, which makes the player rely heavily on the location of sounds. Interesting. That's which, awesome. It sounds really cool. Yeah. Makes, that makes me nervous just hearing it. Like, oh, God, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> just being anxious about it before you even like, start playing it. <laughs> because you know, some... you know you have to play with headphones then, right? And then you're just yeah. sitting there like, oh, yep. that's it. Yep. <laughs> There's been some like really cool and innovative sound design coming out in indie games recently, and I'm so excited mm -hmm. about it. Like it really adds that extra layer of creepiness to it, which is exciting too. Especially with like it seems like uh oh what's it called like the VR um trying to think of the brand of the headset, but uh with like Resident Evil the new one being made for VR Oculus so. Oculus mm -hmm. thank you that's what I was trying to think of um. I like the combination of, you know, you have a virtual reality thing, but then the sound is also really present. Like if they can marry the two really well and it would be completely immersive. Yeah, it really puts you in the moment. kind of where things are heading and that's yeah. really exciting. I'm with you there. Um, Jackie, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and do mine just because I think one of yours is going to be a little bit more of a discussion involved. So For sure, yeah. Uh, mine are pretty quick. I want to recommend an old movie as well, um, Orphan. It's from back in 2009. Uh, I just rewatched it in preparation for our show tonight and was reminded of how, um, how much I enjoyed this film. It, um, it stars Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard, who are two really enjoyable actors. Um, and I, I love the concept of this film and the tension is really, really intense and the child actor, um, is really impressive. I don't want to give mm -hmm. anything away in this, but it is very, it's a very complicated role to play. Um, and I was really impressed with her because I think, you know, in films like this, child acting, whether it's good or bad, can really make or break whether a movie works. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is basically a movie about a husband and wife who, uh, recently lost, they had a stillborn baby who was their third child and the wife is very, uh, grief stricken over it. And, you know, their, their marriage is strained 
uh, all those kind of things. And they decide to adopt a nine-year-old girl from Russia who turns out to be not exactly what they think she is. Um, and yeah, the, the household falls apart very quickly. And this little girl mm-hmm. is, uh, she's, she's, she's a terrible little force to be reckoned with. She's a nasty little thing. So really, really great acting in this film. Um, I actually, it's hard to watch because I feel like Peter Sarsgaard, while I really like him as an actor, the person that he plays in this, the husband is just not a very likable person. Very mm-hmm. quick, very quickly, his character becomes distasteful and sort of like somebody that you just don't appreciate and you don't like, you're just kind of grossed out by him a little bit. Um, so it's tough to watch because it's like, I love everything about the movie, but at the same time, I'm just kind of yelling at it when every time I watch it, I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm just like yelling at him. <laughs> um, but really great. And that, that's one of my recommendations. While it's an older film, I think it was, uh, I think it was a little bit, uh, underrated when it was out. So if you skip that one, you should go back and take a second look at it. Um, my other recommendation, it has nothing to do with horror, but I have to throw it out here because it is a good friend of mine. And I think it's, um, an incredible book that a lot of people should be reading regardless. It's called Superwomen, Gender, Power, and Representation. Um, and this book, just became available a couple of days ago from a good friend of mine, Carolyn Coca, Professor Carolyn Coca. Um, she was one of my friends who I went to the Star Trek convention with. And it's a pretty complex book, but I'm just going to share a little bit from um, the publisher about this to help you give a good idea of what it is. It Superwoman investigates how and why female superhero characters have become more numerous, but are still not at all close to parity with their male counterparts. How and why they've become a flashpoint for struggles over gender, sexuality, race, and disability, what has changed over time, and why in terms of how these characters have been written, drawn, marketed, purchased, read, and reacted to, and how and why representations of superheroes matter, particularly to historically underrepresented and stereotyped groups. Um, she is a professor, and she takes a really, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, uh, academic look at these subjects, but it's really, I, I know I've, I've done a, some proofreading on this for her throughout mm-hmm. the process. I've helped, um, along the way with finding some information, getting some ideas. And she's worked really, really hard on this book. And I'm really excited to get through the whole thing. She touches on everything from X-Men to Star Wars, um, to race and class and how different characters have been changed or manipulated or misused over the years. So, it's not just about comic book characters. There's a little bit of film in here and TV, um, Wonder Woman, some really big figures mm-hmm. like that. So I think it's a really important subject, uh, especially with the environment right now. And in nerd culture in general, we're talking a lot about representation and trying to get better at it. So Sounds for sure. very cool. Yeah. And you can get that on Amazon right now. So that's what I got. Nice. Very I'm nice. super good to read that book. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be a light read by any means, but I think it's yeah, going yeah. to teach all of us a few things. So this sounds like an important read, honestly. Yeah. 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 Jackie, I'm excited to talk about your recs. Okay. So first of all, uh, my first real recommendation is Starry Eyes, uh, which is a movie that came out in 2014. And it's one, I can't even remember where I heard about it, but I put it on my list to watch and we just kind of watched it. While I forgot, while I, while it, ah, excuse me, <laughs> while I forgot what it was about. Um, so this is, uh, starring Alex Esso, which, uh, she hasn't been in a whole lot, but, uh, she's, um, she's, uh, kind of starting out. She's a young actress here. And the movie is actually about her being a young actress in Hollywood trying to get her start. 
And um, the little cap of the movie here is a hopeful young starlet uncovers the ominous origins of the Hollywood elite and enters into a deadly agreement in exchange for fame and fortune. So you can kind of see where that's going. And I'm going to be upfront here. It's got a slow and weird start, like uh, about half an hour through the movie. I'm sitting there thinking, where is this even going? And then shit gets real. (laughs) And (laughs) another fair warning is that if you are not okay with gore or things that are really, really gross, don't watch this movie because it gets really, really disgusting really fast. But in such a cool way, like I, I like hands off to the or what what is it? Hats off. off. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not. Did did you say hands off? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Appropriate. So hats off to the uh, makeup department here because what they did with this beautiful young actress in turning her into what is essentially a walking corpse is incredible. Like it is truly incredible how different she looks. She looks like an incredibly different person. And uh, the story does become, uh, it does kind of drag you in there and you're you start getting really interested in where it's going and of course i'm not going to give anything away there but if you um are (laughs) at all interested in fun gore effects by all means check this Mm -hmm. one out uh again it came out in 2014 so this is another one that um people have already seen already but i know that i skipped it over so quite possibly several of you have too is it more like physical it. effects you think? Like good makeup and Yeah, it's uh it's very much uh it it's very much uh makeup effects and uh physical prop effects. And okay. I can't really recall any specific instances where I looked at it and thought, Oh, that's that's definitely CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh so it's it is very much a lot of physical effects and that's something that is very dear to my heart because, you know, I used mm-hmm. to do things in in a theater and do a zombie walk and all this. So physical effects were my world for a while. And this, uh, they did it so incredibly well. Like, I just can't even express how impressed I am with it. And hard to find in modern films. Mm-hmm. You know, we rely a lot on computer effects these days, so. Yeah, and computer effects can be really good to the point that you don't really know that they're computer generated or just completely like, and utterly ruin a film. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, my other recommendation here isn't quite a recommendation, but it's something that's been popping up a lot around the Internet lately, and I feel like we'd be remiss to not talk about it here. It's a new service called Shudder, and it's a streaming service catered specifically to horror content. And I just uh, I did a little research on it earlier, and it was actually created by AMC, which I think is really cool. Oh, yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, have either of you tried this out or thought about trying it out yet? I've thought about it. I keep seeing commercials for it. Yeah, Yeah. it keeps popping up on my Facebook, and I can't tell if it's, like, really popular and doing well or it's just that I talk a lot about horror things, so. (laughs) (laughs) I have that same thought. I Google search horror things, so it comes up in my my advertisements, but, yeah. And I, I looked around for some reviews and people, like, actual people talking about it, and it seems like people are really loving it. One guy was saying that he just purchased his membership um, 24 hours ago and has already watched six horror films. What? Like, oh my yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what else he's doing with his life, but more power to him. But the, it's it seems really affordable and it seems like they've got a huge uh, selection. And late, like Netflix, they're starting to get exclusive titles. 
So I'm looking at the website now, and I I already like the setup of of the site. They sort of have it looks like they put together collections of different types of films that you can look at to get recommendations for things, and then they've got you know. Uh, like a featured bar flashing across the top with different suggestions of things. And each one kind of gives you automatically gives you a button for synopsis and reviews, which is really, looks like a really like nicely well that laid out uh, easy way to quickly run through some ideas for new movies to see, you know? Yeah. And they also have a uh, pretty easy way to submit requests for titles that they don't currently have, which is very cool. I like the rating system too. I'm looking at the reviews and the rating system is like, it's like five skulls. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so you could just like roll through and say, Oh, that one's already got only got two skulls. That's not very good. Yeah. I can see this being something that the three of us would easily just lose ourselves in front of for a weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. I love the names of these collections too. They have, uh, <laughs> not your ordinary blood, blood sucker, <laughs> identity crisis, hexes and ooze. Ooh. That'll be good for Halloween. Psychos hmm. and Mad Men. <laughs> Ooh, terror transgressive. What's that? What is that? Is there... I don't know, but <laughs> uh, taboo tearing, boundary pushing, underground horror from dangerous directors. Viewer beware. That, that sounds so rad. Woo! Shudder, if you're listening, you've won our hearts already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to sponsor the podcast, <laughs> yeah, just throw that up there. <laughs> Speaking of which, one of their categories here is bad genes and killer kids. Nice. Oh man. Uh, so, so we should have we should time travel and get yeah. past and use it <laughs> to do some research. Now Maybe. we know we're all going to be members of Shutter by the end of tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is a perfect uh, uh, movement into our topic, actually, um, which tonight is going to be. Evil kids. We haven't decided what we're going to call it yet, uh, but we're talking about bad, evil, nasty little children in horror. Um, and that's what we're going to, uh, we're going to launch into tonight. We have all kinds of interesting, uh, categories and different ways that we want to talk about this. So we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we will start talking about the brats. <laughs> <laughs> Today we are going to talk about evil kids in horror. Um, there's a lot of material here, so we've kind of uh, figured out some ways to narrow this down a little bit. It, I know that one of the things we're not going to talk about specifically tonight is horror for children. Uh, we will be hitting on that topic later um, on another episode. We've already got some things planned for it, so so don't start tweeting us and telling us that we should have talked about that. Because it's in our plans. 
I know how Twitter is. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're going to focus tonight on when innocence turns evil. Terrible children. Um, why are children so terrifying in horror? I think that is the big question. I could personally give you a list of reasons why they're terrifying in real life, because I have one. <laughs> but when a child is given the behaviors and traits of something malicious and evil, we all run away in terror. Is it the simple act of watching innocence lost? Watching something which should be filled with joy and wonder become a tool of hatred and violence that chills us so deeply. Or perhaps it's the fact that children at their best are completely unpredictable and unruly. So given the motivation to do evil, they become a tiny force to be reckoned with. Maybe it's the sudden and brutal turn in power that occurs when a child becomes a hunter and an adult becomes prey. Whatever our reasons are for being utterly horrified by kids with the spirit of evil in them, there's no question that it's a favorite device of the horror genre and one that's proven reliably effective with audiences. In this episode, because there's such an immense amount of material, I want to focus specifically on children in horror, and we'll be discussing some of our favorites and least favorites according to the source of evil each title bestows upon its little monsters. Um, and something else that's kind of silly and fun that I came up with for this episode, um, I want to do something called the Scary Kids Scale. <laughs> And this is going to give us a scale where we can rate the evil children that we talk about by how terrified we would be if we came in contact with these kids. <laughs> Are you ready for this, ladies? Yep, go for it. I know you guys weren't really aware of this. I'm just bringing this on you here. <laughs> <laughs> so a one would be mildly annoyed. A three would be buying a new padlock for the basement door. In other <laughs> words, you can lock that evil in the basement and it'll be okay as long as it's behind a locked door. Mm-hmm. Uh, six would be hit it with a baseball bat and run for your life. And six, six, six is get the chainsaw. <laughs> I love it. My fun homage to the evil dead. That means that you're in that deep shit. Funny. <laughs> yeah. So that's our rating system for tonight. Our scary kid skill. Um, I'd like to start out this discussion by just something a little bit casual. Ask each of us to share kind of one of our favorite personal favorite child baddies and talk about a little bit of our history with that particular kid and why we fear them maybe a little bit more than others. Um, Sierra, do you want to start us out with this one? Yeah. So uh, the one that I, it immediately popped into my head um, is Regan from the exorcist. Um, She, I guess, falls under the category of child possessed by evil. Um, (laughs) She starts out. (laughs) Yeah. Quite literally. Um, she, you know, starts out the movie normal, ends the movie normal, and a lot of shit happens in the middle. Um, but this is one of my favorite movies, especially because of the cultural um, ramifications of it. And so many people, like, when it came out, just, like, lost their minds. Um, not that I was there, but. Uh, <laughs> and also, uh, one of the guy who plays the priest in The Exorcist is also a Jesuit, like, actual priest. And he... Uh, I went to a Jesuit college, and he taught at the college, so that was a, a fun little connection. Oh, that's wow. awesome. Yeah. I never, like, met him. Apparently, he gets asked about The Exorcist a lot and hates it, and so oh. I, was, I was afraid that if I quartered him, he'd just hate me, so. Um, but yeah, I love anything. I love, sp- like, paranormal things and also demonic, and then, you know, this little kid uh, in the middle of it all is, is great fun. So The Exorcist is a pretty old film. Uh, do you remember how old you were when you first saw it? Oh, 
I I think this was one that I saw a little bit later, like teenager kind of age. Um, I also because I I knew going into it that there was the big like vomiting scene. Um, and we've talked about this before. I do not like anything vomiting, but <laughs> um, but it's like the pea soup basically. Uh, and again, this is another movie that has really really good practical effects and great makeup. Especially um, for the age it was made in. It, mm-hmm. yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's 73 it came out. So This is one that always surprises me when I see it pop up on so many people's most terrifying films. I know I know why it was popular and I know why it affected so people so much in that age, in that time period. But it's definitely older effects now. Yeah. You know, it's like green slime. But I still, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me. I think a lot of people have hangups about religious horror too mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know um i guess i was just born a heathen because that never scared me <laughs> <laughs> like whatever devil angel same thing i don't know uh but yeah i know a lot of people have uh specific uh fears and kind of sensitivities to uh anything involving possession in religious horror so and it seems like back in would you say 1973 yep that it came out it seems like back then this was probably like the most wild horror story to ever really mm-hmm. hit the big screen uh, at that yeah. time i can't was... remember where i heard the, the statistics or where anyone was talking about this but i have it in my head that after the exorcist came out there was like a spike in people going like going back to catholicism and going back <laughs> to church like it was really good for the catholic church for this movie to come out because everybody was like oh jesus i need to like protect myself that's hilarious and, and avo- avoiding pointy fences <laughs> yep <laughs> um yeah i uh and i totally just forgot my question <sighs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> um wasn't there something to do with too that they did they originally not show the scene of her going down the stairs backwards i remember at some point like that particular scene being released in some kind of i'm not sure i think i remember reading somewhere that it had been like a little too disturbing for people at right. first maybe so cut it was like theaters a director's or cut kind of thing right yeah Right, because I remember it coming out and people being really excited just to see that one part because it was somehow not not shown before. Yeah. Now that effect is done so much. Yeah. Yeah. That like crawling backwards thing. Yeah, The Exorcist is like the granddaddy of a, of a horror movie influencers. Like anytime you mm-hmm. ask a, a you know somebody what their favorite older horror movie is or uh, like their influences in making or writing or even watching horror movies, The Exorcist is like always going to come up. Yeah, I think so. And I think you can see, especially when you think about that scene of her going down the stairs backwards or her turning her head around backwards, mm-hmm. you can see the influence of that in a lot of modern horror, like like The Ring, oh, things sure. like that, where yeah. we started to do that kind of like shuddery, jittery movement in yeah. ghosts. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jackie, what what is what, what did you pick as your favorite? Okay, so mine is uh, kind of a little bit questionable. It's uh, The Little Sisters <laughs> oh. in Bioshock. Okay. Okay. Which the reason it's questionable is because you can't actually, uh, you can't, uh, touch the little sisters when they're, you know, coming at you and they can't actually come at you. So you can't really interact with them until after the battle is over. Uh, so it's kind of difficult to describe them as an enemy. But at the same time, their presence means that they're going to, you know, call their big daddy who is going to attack the shit out of you with a, you know, drill as big as your entire torso. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like a teamed up 
sort of horror team. Like it, the little sisters mm-hmm. are a threat, but they're in a threat in that they have a protector. Um, so I always found, found the little sisters really interesting because they, you know, when you're first playing Bioshock and, you know, now the mechanics and the, um, and the graphics are a little outdated if you're playing it for the first time, but, uh, it's still very atmospheric and it's a really, really interesting, uh, environment in general, like rapture the city, this sunken underwater city that's supposed to be a utopia, but it goes terribly wrong is very fascinating in and of itself. Uh, but then you get in there and there are these little girls who look like walking corpses with, you know, prancing around with like big bows in their hair and they're like singing little songs with their big daddy. But then they see like a splicer or you or anything and they flip their shit and their big daddy comes <laughs> at you. <laughs> like it's it's just a very, very interesting way to tell this story. I think with the little sisters, you know, they, you hear them crying in the corner over there and it's like, you want to feel for them, but at the same time, they're kind of a threat to you and you use what they have, uh, the atom to, uh, evolve yourself. So there's a moral quandary, uh, quandary of going after these little sisters at all. And, uh, you know, saving yourself. So it's, it's very much a toss up in, in the dynamic of how you're approaching these particular children. It's one of those things where you're not completely clear at the beginning if they're, if they're an enemy or not, right? Because your first instinct would be, oh, I need to help those little girls. Mm-hmm. But then and then you- if you even try to, you're going to get your face smashed. So. Right. <laughs> and it is really creepy the way they make their entrance. They kind of crawl out of these little holes in the wall. Yeah, they use the vents to get around the entire city. So it's like if you even walk up to a vent, you can hear, you know, little girls talking and crying in the vents. And it's it just adds that extra little creep factor to it. Um, one thing to note is that if you depending on which way you choose to approach the little sisters, whether you choose to harvest them or rescue them, uh, gives you two completely different endings to the entire game. Which most so people, I think, when the original Bioshock came out, went through and played it twice just to see both endings. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Um, I I actually thought you were going to pick a different video game, but I'm glad that you picked a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll, I'll mention that one later. I had a different game in mind that I thought that you might jump on. Um, my favorite, I, I'm going to say it's, you know, just, I'm sure you guys felt like this too. It's really tough to quickly pick like a favorite mm-hmm. um, character, especially when you watch so much of a genre. And you enjoy so much of a genre. But the one that stuck out to me when I thought of, okay, what's the most terrifying child I've experienced in horror? It would definitely have to be Gage in Pet Cemetery. Mm. Um, and Gage has, for me, Gage has now morphed into a completely different kind of terror because now as a parent, I cannot watch that film anymore. Yeah. I, I, I cannot get through that scene without bawling my eyes out. Mm-hmm. Um, so anybody who's not familiar, Pet Cemetery, uh, is a 1989 film that was based on a Stephen King story. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not even a huge fan of Stephen King adaptations normally. As we've talked about before on the show, they have, sometimes they're really good and sometimes they're really terrible. Yep. So they're yep. like the definition of hit or miss there. Yeah, but I think it's pretty much agreed in horror that Pet Cemetery is a classic. Um, yeah, I think so. And for me, growing up, this was one of the scariest films I'd ever seen. And um, Gage in particular, I think, again, talking about child actors, I think the actor um, who played Gage, his name is Miko Hughes, did such an amazing job. Um, there's a moment when his father picks up the phone and Gage is on the other line. 
and he asks his daddy to come out and play with him. And it's just like the most creepy child voice I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Super creepy. Oh, my God. I will never forget the way that little boy giggles and talks to his father. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I just had chills when I saw this film. I was terrified. And, and now, uh, you know, like I said, now as a mom, I see this and it's like your worst nightmare. You know, just the idea that your child will one day run a little bit too fast and you can't catch them and, and they end up in the road. And so I, I just can't, like, I can't go anywhere near the scene now because I just will ball my eyes out. <laughs> so it just, now it just represents like a whole different kind of terror, which is very real life terror of a, of a parent. Um, and so I find this film really, really interesting in that way because I think that it, I think it can strike terror into the heart of many people at many different phases of life. Um, even animal lovers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is one of the few movies that I actually found that I, for the first time I actually found animals really terrifying because normally, you know, we're all animal lovers, I think, here on the show. Um, normally you have more empathy for the animals in the film than you feel ter- terror about them. But Church was a great kitty actor. He <laughs> was a pretty terrifying cat. Um, so that's mine. Uh, and then I just wanted to talk about before I, I have a lot of questions that I wanted to um, ask you girls today to go into this topic. But I just wanted to say really quickly that one of the things I came up with to help us discuss the vast amount of um, material here was talking about the source of the evil for these kids, which... Mm-hmm. Um, all three of us have been trying to categorize our films and our and our material into these spaces, and I think that most of them you could say could fit into at least two different categories. So you know they're they're not too they're not too static. Like you, most of the most of these kids are influenced by at least two different things, or you could kind of consider them in, in different ways to fit into these categories. But this is just a way to help us kind of run down a lot of material quickly. Um, what I came up with is a category I call "Born Bad," which are <laughs> Things like The Omen, Rosemary's Baby, um, mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who added that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, Freddie was born? <laughs> okay. He was reborn into an unborn child. I am not even <laughs> kidding. Like, he just looks like, uh, oh, God, it's it's terrible. You should look up pictures. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Jackie. <laughs> um, and then Cordelia on Angel. Who uh, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing was Jackie as well. Uh, absolutely, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cordelia was pregnant twice with uh, Big Bad's children, and I mean they're always resolved within the course of an episode, so it's not an ongoing thing in the series. But it is pretty interesting to see a demon pop out of a uh, a young woman there always. <laughs> then we have supernatural influence, which I think a lot of these kids can. Supernatural is a pretty broad term, mm-hmm. so <laughs> you know that can include demons. It can include uh, metaphysical things like ghosts and spirits. It can include uh, like um, what am I trying to say? Uh, like psychic things like ESP or um, very psychic powers, things like that. So super uh, supernatural influence. We actually I have the omen under that one as well because he um, mm-hmm. was obviously the son of the, the son of Satan. So he's got some influence from some demons. Uh, Interview with a vampire. Uh, the Lost Boys. Let the right one in. Rosemary's Baby, who is also a a little devil child. Um, the Sixth Sense and Conjuring Two, which was the Enfield haunting and Supernatural's Lilith. Who put Supernatural on that list? Was that you, Sierra? No, that no, was, that was me. Jackie. That was Jackie. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
We haven't talked about Supernatural here yet, so I'm, I wasn't sure who is the Supernatural fan. That would be me. Yeah, in the in I believe it's the fourth and fifth season, there's a uh, demon queen named Lilith, and she takes the form of a small, very excitable little blonde girl. <laughs> so. <laughs> so the next one we have is Trauma or Return from Death, which I included Pet Cemetery, uh, Orphan, Wreck or Quarantine, Dawn of the Dead, Trick or Treat, Silent Hill, Bioshock, and Dead Space. Um, I'm glad you added Wreck and Quarantine on there, too, because I'd forgotten about those. But I feel like this is kind of like the zombie category. Yeah. Yeah, sure. a little bit. <laughs> uh, rebellion, Cult, or Brainwashing? The only one I could come up with for that was Children of the Corn, although I'm sure there's more, and I'm missing them. Um, so if you guys think of, of more of those that we should have had in there, you know, tweet them out to us or post on our Facebook, let us know. Um, alien influence was a really tough one for us too. Yeah, we had a whole conversation about how we're clearly missing something on this one. Where yeah. are the alien babies? <laughs> um, although you could probably put X Files in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I think we're all X Files fans, and none of us thought of that. We're like, there's something obvious that we're missing here. <laughs> uh, we do have Village of the Damned and Children of the Damned on there, which is just, you know, I believe a remake of Village of the Damned. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're both fairly older films, so uh, I think I don't know. Have have you guys seen those recently at all? No, it's been years. Oh, not in a long time. But I think everybody knows it as it's those kids with the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> the red eyes and the blonde hair, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the village of the damned. <laughs> um, what? Let's see, there's something I was missing here. Oh. I forgot. I forgot to ask you guys where you put your your scariest kids on the scary kid scale. I made oh. the scale and I haven't used it. <laughs> Sierra, where would you categorize Reagan on your scary kid scale? Um, I feel like she's not the scariest of scary. She's not six six six. She's still like a living teenager, right? So you might not want to yeah, hack her up with a chainsaw yeah. just yet. And I mean, they they over they exercise her. Uh, yeah. And you know, they overcome the evil. It's doable. It's not necessarily hit her with a baseball bat, but it's call a priest who knows what he's doing and don't <laughs> listen to her don't let her like you know get into your head i think we need to add another one to your scale melissa number five yeah. call a priest yeah <laughs> well, we, could, we could buy a new padlock and lock her in the basement with the priest there you yeah. go <laughs> jackie where's uh where's your little sisters fit on there i'm gonna call it a 666 because the little sisters themselves are you know kind of like a one but the big daddy's coming at you that is definitely grab a chainsaw and like just fend for your life here. It's it's gonna get wild. There's no reasoning with a big daddy. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say six 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 for Gage too, which I feel terrible saying that about a toddler, but <laughs> that kid likes to hack at Achilles tendons, and I'm not messing around with that. So <laughs> he is a sneaky, evil little thing with a scalpel. So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if a baseball bat would be enough. I think the father actually walks around with a baseball bat at one point, and it doesn't help him much. Yeah. Um. So, all right, so I've got a few questions for you guys that we can uh, discuss here. The first one is, I want to know, which do you think is worse? The child who turns against you of his own accord, like our brainwashing rebellion kids, or the mm-hmm. child who is possessed by an evil motivation like a demon? I think the one that turns against you of his own accord is worse Specifically because if they're possessed uh, by something like a demon or a ghost or anything like that, you can often 
exercise them in the yeah. in the horror genre there there there's often a way to get rid of the evil influence but if somebody is turning against you especially a child who is very often stubborn against uh turning yeah. against you of their own accord uh changing their mind isn't so easy melissa i'm sure you can attest to that one <laughs> <laughs> it's true although i'm thinking of like i mean that would apply to something like reagan right if you're possessed yeah mm-hmm. But what about things like vampirism or, you know, I don't know. Um, let's see. Van- I don't, the, yeah, Damien from the Omen. I don't know that, I don't know that he could be brought back from the dark right, side. Yeah. But he was born evil, right? Mm-hmm. He, he was born. Well, he was born Mark, right? Yeah. The devil claimed him. <laughs> I feel like, um, it's almost a little scarier if they are possessed. I kind of feel the opposite way because then they, have the potential of strength and knowledge beyond a child. Mm, um, like a if, it, if you have a bad, a bad little kid, you can just like overpower them potentially. But if you know, they're running with their head turned around and like throwing you across a room. Cause they're like possessed by the devil or something, then maybe not so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could potentially be a lot hairier. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when a kid is, I feel like if it's an evil child who's turned against you, let's just take, um, Children of the Corn as an example. Have you guys seen mm-hmm. Children of the Corn? Yeah. Yeah. It's an older one, but that was one of my favorites when I was younger. Um, they are still, they are still, um, frail in, in very human ways. So mm-hmm. like their, you know, their potential to say, give in to temptation or give in to their own fear or given to a hunger for power or ego, those things are still present, right? Because they're still completely human and controlled by their own devices. Mm-hmm. So there's still, so there's still a potential there to find a weakness in them or to turn, you know, to at least like, tur- to at least like turn them around long enough. Uh, the orphan's a good example of this too. The, the movie that I recommended, um, where it is, um, just so everybody knows, I'm going to talk spoilers from here out. So. If you guys are afraid of hearing spoilers on any of these films, we're going to have to, I think, mm-hmm. talk some spoilers to get into this in depth. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. The Orphan is a film um, that is about a girl who's basically, she's an adult and she's parading as a child. She hides herself um, and she's uh, she, she's got this condition that that keeps her very small and she doesn't she doesn't grow to an adult form um but she is an adult so it's very easy for her to dress like a child and talk like a child and pretend to be a child um but because she's still an adult inside and this woman is this girl is evil she's Mm -hmm. terribly evil like she's fine with killing children she doesn't care like she just you know bashes people's heads in she's got no she's obviously um psychotic and uh she, but, but she, she still has an ego and she still has a need for love and she has a need for something. She, there's something, there's a reason she has her own, um, motivation for doing the terrible things that she does. And that motivation is her, is her downfall. Where I think if you have a child who's possessed by a demon or a devil or a hunger, like, like a vampirism sort of thing, they tend to be driven more by whatever this other entity is and with less sort of, less sort of care for themselves and less care for their own safety and their own perseverance, right? Their own survival. Yeah. Right on. Um, have you, have you two ever felt empathy for an evil child in a game or a film? Yes. Uh, I actually, 
I kind of side with the bad guy a lot, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'll watch a horror movie. I'm like, he just needs a hug. Oh my god, <laughs> society has failed you. That's usually the last thing you want to do when someone has a butcher knife in their hand. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm probably not the best one to answer that. <laughs> Jackie's not going to survive. <laughs> I feel like um, whenever you have like a ghost kid or a a zombie kid, I feel bad for them. Um, mostly because they aren't evil at their core and something has happened to them that would uh, turn them into this like evil force. But yeah. I can't think of a specific example of that off the top of my head. Like with Interview the Vampire, Claudia, she didn't really ask to be a, you know, a vampire child. And you can see her struggle with the fact that she's never going to grow up. And she's very upset about that. And she has these urges that she can't control and all that. And it's it's like you you feel for her trying to figure herself out. And she's not really trying to walk the line of good and evil. She's straight up evil, but she just doesn't really know what to do with herself. Right. And um, when I was when we rewatched Orphan, we did some research on like the backstory of the girl because they don't really tell you much in the film. Mm -hmm. And she you know, you find out, oh, she's from um I can't remember where it was. It wasn't Russia, but it was somewhere else. Um, the place where she, she came from, she was actually, she had like a romantic relationship with her father, like her blood father. Um, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Like a really unhealthy relationship with her dad. And at some point her dad, um, got basically had a woman in his life, a girlfriend who took her place. And she, you know, as a young child, she was sexualized very early. And as a young child, she was, um, experiencing an immense kind of jealousy and feeling left out. And she ended up, that was the beginning of who she was. Like she, she killed her father and her father's mistress. And, um, and she went into prostitution after that and had all these wealthy customers who were into pedophilia. So that's why, that's why she was able to mask herself as a child. And that's was basically became like her motivation from then on was finding that 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 only kind of romantic love acceptance that she ever knew, which was in a father figure. So she would implant herself into these families and try to seduce the fathers and dispose of the family. Yeah. Um, and that was I, kind of the pattern she put herself in. I feel like it's kind of easy to hate and be fearful of somebody like anybody that's coming at you with a butcher knife. But when you hear somebody's backstory and how they mm -hmm. became that way, it's really hard to not empathize with them and not kind of feel for them there. And, you know. There was another kid that I thought of as uh, Melissa was reading this, the scary kid scale um, with <laughs> one who's like pretty annoying. Um, there's an episode of the Twilight Zone called It's a Good Life. It's that one where there's this town and there's this little boy who has like psychic mind reading powers um, and he can like wish people out of existence. Um, and so everybody in this town is like walking on eggshells around this little boy who is just like, I don't want ice cream. Give me this. Meh, meh, meh. I'm a little kid. I'm mad at you. Um, and that's, that's a kid who is just being a kid. Um, yeah. who is like, yeah, you're being really shitty and like stupid and nobody can like put you in a timeout so you can learn your lesson because you'll just kill them basically. Um, and so it's a kid who has these like crazy powerful powers who doesn't understand it, who is just, you know, being a kid, but being really annoying. Um, <laughs> yeah. so despite me being really, really annoyed by him, I can, I can understand that yeah. based on the situation, I have a little empathy, but yeah, I agree with you too, Sierra, that the zombie children, it's hard to not have empathy for them because they're just basically, yeah, they're, they're barely even really people anymore at that point. They're just sort of, you know, 
eating little flesh bags. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you just kind of feel bad that like their body's being used in this nasty, evil way, you know? And of course, there's a few obvious ones here, like, like let the right one in, you know, is a great mm-hmm. example of uh, an evil child who, I, I don't know, it's hard to say, like, I, I want to say, yeah, like, he was a really nice kid. And, you know, we should feel kind of bad because he was obviously very lonely and was, you know, mm-hmm. having a heart. But then you see him, like, you know, lure in a man <laughs> by playing the helpless child while he tears his throat out. It's like, okay, maybe he's not so nice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one. Uh, the Sixth Sense is really easy to feel empathy for him. Mm-hmm. I think when we all saw the Sixth Sense for the first time, right, we thought that a uh, little... Joel Haley. Haley Joel Osmond. Haley Joel Osmond. There you go. I knew there was three names, but I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> um, you know, I think we all felt like when we first time saw that, that he was, he was the scary one in the beginning, right? And he was yeah. like, this kid is creepy as hell. Like, what is wrong with him? And then by the end of the film, you just feel really bad for him. Like, the poor kid mm-hmm. just doesn't want to see dead things anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the average adult would be terrified by the things that that boy is witnessing every day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about that one a little bit and that, you know, it does lose its power, I think, when you see it more times. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, of course, now you know what the story is, so it's not quite as uh, the surprise is gone. But there's actually a child in that film that scares me every single time I see it. And I don't know if it will ever not scare me. And it's the uh, the young girl who's she's like bulimic, like barfing underneath the bed. Yeah, yeah. That, that scene just every single it's time so that scene gets me. Yeah. <laughs> And I think and you it's know her- it's coming too, because he like goes to the bathroom and it gets real cold. You're like, right. ooh, there's gonna be a ghost. <laughs> and I think it's her in the tent too. That time, isn't it? Does she yeah. pop up in the tent in mm-hmm. his house? Oh god, that girl scares the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I know her story, and I know that she's just this poor young girl, you know. And I'm just like, it's, it's just I can't not be scared every time it's I see much. her face pop out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we often see the evil kid turn against his parents or caregivers at first. Do you think this is an intentional device to play against the deep-seated fear of parents of losing control? So when I first read this, this question or saw this question, Melissa, I actually, it never occurred to me that that was a deep-seated fear for parents. Honestly, Mm -hmm. never. (laughs) Never would I knew this would be a little bit tricky one to throw out there for two People yeah. are not parents, so. Yeah. I think you should answer this one, actually. Well, I mean, I can, I can attest that is probably one of the biggest fears of parents. Uh, one of those automatic ones that happens as soon as you pop out a child. <laughs> you mm-hmm. have this fear that you're going to lose control. Um, and that's why all parents walk around looking like they haven't slept in three days because we're all just trying desperately to hold on to control. And it's just <laughs> not really possible with a child. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it is. I think that, I think that screenwriters and, and, uh, horror writers are very smart. And I think that there's a reason why they use children against us. It's definitely a really powerful tool that's been used successfully in film after film after film, uh, or game after game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't, it doesn't, it, I mean, that doesn't escape me when I see that. Like, you know, like I told you, like Gage is a great example of that. It's the, Gage wouldn't have existed if his parents hadn't lost control for a half a second. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a terrible scene with his father chasing him and trying to catch him. And like, they're just, both of his parents are just within, which is within minutes of grabbing him and stopping that from happening. And that is every, that is every parent's worst nightmare. It doesn't matter if you're talking about, a, t- a big hill if you're talking about a busy road if you're talking about in the store losing sight of your kid 
you know, like it's just every single moment there's an opportunity for that to happen in your life with a kid. And you know that if it does happen, it's going to be your fault. <laughs> you know, if your kid gets lost and something happens, it's going to be your fault. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I definitely think it's intentional. But I was curious, you know, from the two of you not being parents, like, I guess you never thought of that concept. Sierra, did you ever think of that concept before? Um, I don't know. I also kind of my I concept of parenthood is that you never truly have control you're just like don't have control over anything ever it's true kind of the kid is always in control um so that kind of helplessness is then turned against you in a way that would be you know evil is threatening and terrible um there's a a documentary that popped into my head while you guys were talking called child of rage um who it's it's from the 90s i think it's about a a kid who had like really bad behavioral problems um and and the you know the parents how they deal with that um and also uh on our our list uh the movie uh what's it called we need to talk about kevin it's like kind of psychopath children i have um, that one up in front of me right now actually i was gonna add yeah, that one yeah yeah oh man that's it's also just a fear of um a fear of of difference and a fear of like I just don't understand how your brain works, kind of. Yeah, I think it's I think too. it's another feel another fear of failure. Yeah. It's you know you you failed as a parent to make like a functioning happy mm-hmm. child. <laughs> yeah, who you could then you know put out into the world without worrying about it, but then right. these parents who have to worry about oh gosh is my child a, yeah, a always, killer or something like that. I've always thought of uh, <laughs> the use of children in horror. Um, like the main one of the main uh, purposes of it is to kind of play on maternal and paternal instincts in terms of losing something you love uh, mm-hmm. like specifically you know losing a child whether it be to supernatural influence or trauma or something like that not specifically losing control but losing them so I I mean hearing that from your perspective Melissa actually gives me like a lot of different uh things i never thought about there like things to consider next time i'm watching one of these movies because you know as a as a non-breeder this is stuff that like (laughs) comes naturally here so that's very interesting to hear from you there well let's take another example that we actually didn't even have on this list which is one of my favorite horror films in the last probably five years the babadook Mm -hmm. um yeah and the child was definitely not the not the evil in in this but it's very very debatable what the evil is um Mm -hmm. And I've heard tons of different, you know, interpretations of this film and what was intended to be said here. But I think it's really glaringly obvious from the beginning that this film is a really difficult look at this mother losing control. She's losing control over her life, over her son, mm-hmm. pretty much everything around her. She's, you know, she's struggling with grief um, for the loss of her husband and her son has all these behavioral problems and it, she just has no grip on it. Yeah. Um, and I think that when I saw that film, that definitely played up to that. Like the evil is almost like a representation. Like it's a, it's that loss of control and that loss of, um, that failure as a parent kind of like put into an evil entity, you know, mm-hmm. it's become that evil thing. The Baba becomes a monster. Yeah. 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 The Baba Dick shows up on your doorstep when you were like, you fucked everything up and you don't have uh-huh. any control anymore. And the Baba Dick is there to show you how ugly that is, you know? Right. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's tough, and I feel like in, in, in any in anything, when you have, like, an evil child like this, there's one of two things that happens. Either they immediately turn after turn against their parents and their caregivers and go after them first, or they yeah. use their parents and their caregivers to 
to they manipulate them into protecting mm-hmm. them while they destroy everything else. Yeah. You know, but either way, those parents lose control over that child very quickly. And they're kind of like the first thing to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you think of any evil kids in film that you felt had a, a particularly effective backstory, like a backstory that really got to you and touched you in a certain way? I've already talked about orphans, so I don't want to bring that one up again, but that was one that really hit me. Hmm. That's a good question. Do you guys do this kind of, you know, when you watch something or you, you IMBD everything to see more information about it? Sometimes. Like, if it if it really hits me, like, if, if this character just really makes me curious or something like that, then I'll go into uh, looking it up and such. Uh, I know one that hit me in terms of the horror child protagonist, which you have here on our list, is uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Because uh, mm-hmm. there was a, there was a pretty rich backstory in there in terms of the war and dealing with her parents and all of that other nonsense mm-hmm. there, uh, so that one was that one was pretty rich for me. Um, I think Jackie, this is a good time to bring up Silent Hill. Uh, yeah. I mean, doesn't the uh, the <laughs> the little girl in Silent Hill have a pretty tough? I, I guess it depends on if you're talking about the. I don't know if the game material matches the films. I'm more familiar with the films. See, I actually, I haven't seen the films. I've just played the games. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So take take it away with the film there. (laughs) So I believe what happened in the film, uh, you know, it's an old film I haven't seen in a while, but I believe what they said was Sharon. Sharon, I think, was the name of the girl when they showed her kind of in her happy, nice. And then she was Alessa, which was the uh, evil one. I don't know. I might have that mixed up. Um, but her backstory is basically that she was, her mother was this kind of like tyrannical religious cult leader who was very severe and very mean to her and cruel. Um, and she was, you know, she became an evil child through all this kind of torment and, um, and horror that had happened in her life. She had been like locked up and she had been, you know, neglected and she had been treated really badly and abused. And she, it was, it was, uh, what, what do you say? Um, it was an expression of like her extreme anger and, and, and frustration. And, you know, um, in a way it reminds me of, uh, Sybil. Do you, have you ever read, uh, or seen the movie Sybil, uh, which is actually based on a true story of a girl that is tortured by her mother. So she kind of develops, she develops these, uh, completely different personalities to cope with those different hmm. situations. So those are like different manifestations of herself uh, that are specifically made to handle those kinds of situations. Hmm. I, I mean, that's kind of the basis of Carrie as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got those psychic abilities, but she expresses them in the end out of frustration and anger and rage yeah. over being treated badly, being stifled by her mother, being abused by her mother emotionally, um, and the you know all the torment of being bullied and and not accepted by her peers. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that psychic ability is turned into something evil, which maybe didn't have to be. Yeah, and kind of like a fire starter too. Uh, uh-huh. The parents going through like. Uh, scientific experiments and things and getting these powers that she doesn't really, she never asked for that. She's not necessarily evil, but it's an interesting origin story. Yeah. Right. And another, um, you mentioned Pan's Labyrinth, another uh, Guillermo del Toro that touched me, the backstory was the orphanage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's a, the, I think the ghosts that first show up, the baddies that first show up in this film are the, um, a child with like a, like a, what looks like a potato sack that's yeah. been drawn on mm-hmm. over his head and he's very creepy and terrifying, um, and unsettling. And, you know, the backstory ends up being this terrible story of these children who were neglected and, and, and killed, um, in this orphanage and it's very sad it's a very sad terrible story that this woman has to um uncover and figure out along the way and you know then by the end of the film you kind of realize okay they're not they're not really bad they're just these poor tormented souls of these children who have been forgotten yeah and left behind so that one was really touching to me um and that kind of actually brings me into my next question which are kids with masks (laughs) Mm -hmm. um trick or treat and Orphanage both featured scary children hidden behind masks. So I want to know, why do you think this approach is more or less powerful than seeing the child's face? I think for me, it's scary in the way that masks are scary of like the thing on top is probably creepy just in and of itself. But then your brain comes up with all of the numerous possibilities that are way more terrifying than what it actually probably is behind the mask. Yeah, the worst case scenario there. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like your imagination is your own worst enemy in that way. But to me, I think putting a mask on a kid is not necessarily any scarier than just a kid or it doesn't. I don't think it makes it more powerful for me. I think it's a little more powerful personally uh, because it just kind of disassociates you from the human face there. You know, it kind of pulls that humanity away. So you don't like like Sierra said, you don't know what's behind the mask, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's human also. Uh, so seeing that in a horror context, like anything can happen. It could be, you know, a crazy zombie behind that mask or something. And mm-hmm. you you really don't know what you're dealing with. Like it, it really adds that element of I have no fucking clue what's going on here in terms of what I'm about to encounter. I don't think they ever revealed what was behind the mask in Trick or Treat, right? They did. It's zombies. Oh, okay. So I, yeah, I thought... I I always imagined I I don't remember what was behind the mask obviously because I don't remember mm-hmm. if they ever showed it but I assumed when I saw that child that it wasn't an actual child in there there was something very kind of like inhuman and weird about the way it moved and it's almost something. kind of uh terrifying in the way that um in like any kind of ghost hunting or demon hunting or anything like that uh, a ghost or a voice uh taking like pretending to be a child um. It's kind of a recurring theme in all the like ghost hunting shows that I watch um, of like, yeah, we might be talking to a kid or we might be talking to a demon pretending to be a kid so that it'll let, like, <laughs> so that'll we'll let them let it in or we'll trust it or something. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, something behind a mask could be a kid or it could just be something really, really creepy that just happens to be the size of a kid. And it's taking advantage of that. Or it can use a kid's voice to kind of throw it and make me want to like protect it or approach it or something. Yeah. This question was a tough one for me because I feel like looking at a child's face um, when they're evil is is mm-hmm. more powerful. You have to look them in the eye and you have to, you know, and it brings up this really tough question of of morality. Like, can you can you like how far can you how far can you go to defend yourself against an evil child without feeling like a piece of shit yourself? Yeah, you know? right. Um, like Gage, I mean, I think he was so powerful because he still looked like this adorable, innocent little child. You looked at his face and it was like, oh, like he's just this poor little boy who's in pain and lonely and confused, you know? I and just want to def- make you mac and cheese and run you a bath. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> well, I cut your Achilles tendon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, and he used that, you know, he used there were mm-hmm. moments in that film when he would turn his face into this sad little child again and beg his daddy to help him. And yeah. It's like, there's no way you could, like, to me, that's so dangerous. Like, there's no way you could resist that, you know? Um, and I think that I think they use that a lot with babies too, mm-hmm. like evil babies, you know. Yeah, because you want to associate a sense of uh, of innocence with a baby or you know a small child in any way because they don't know any better. Like you're, they're supposed to be good. Yeah. How many films have you seen where somebody's baby? You see the parent, especially the mother, like they look at their child, like, oh my god, this thing is a demon. This is a beast. This is not a human <laughs> child. But I'm going to protect it anyway because it's my baby. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, the baby could be gnawing on her face and the mom would be like, oh, it's okay. It's my baby. <laughs> my baby loves me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and this, <laughs> another perfect lead-in, uh, mm-hmm. child zombies. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. talk about children who eat faces. Uh, child zombies have been especially used as a powerful symbol in horror. Uh, great examples would be the Walking Dead TV show. In the first season, there was a great scene of a, a young girl um, walking up to Rick Rimes. I think she was walking in between the cars. Um, uh, the bicycle girl? No, no, no. The bicycle girl, you're talking about the one that was laying on the ground? Yeah. No. She was, she I, was a little older, wasn't she? Yeah, she was a little bit older. No, there was a scene with, uh, he was um, walking in between some cars. I think it was like a gas station or something. And there was a young girl in a nightgown who oh. approached him. Okay. Um, and uh, again, also with the Dawn of the Dead's disturbing scene of the neighbor child attacking the adults in their bedroom, which was an, in all of the trailers, um, specifically talking about the Dawn of the Dead remake here. Um, yeah. That was a really powerful scene, I think. Really terrifying. This this little girl who's just just enough down the hallway that you can't see her face clearly. Um, she's just a young girl who seems to be lost and roaming around in someone's house in the middle of the night, you know. And then yeah. she just launches herself at the at the adults, the concerned mm-hmm. adults on the other side of the door. Um, gauge a pet cemetery. So my question is, is it the momentary moral quandary of whether it's acceptable to kill a child? That makes the child zombie such a powerful foe for adults. Do you think that that's something that makes those little zombies so, so, so not so scary necessarily, but so powerful that, you know, they're always, you're always going to take pause mm-hmm. when a child attacks um, you. There's a scene, I think it's in 28 Days Later that I'm thinking of, where they're again in like a gas station. Um, and it's kind of the moment where, uh, man, if I'm remembering this wrong, I'm sorry, but I think it's Killing Murphy's like, going through the gas station and he has to kill a kid and then uh the girl he's with like knows something's wrong something just happened but he can't say it i think that's kind of um we've all kind of agreed as a society that like once you kill a kid like that's once that's necessary then you know society is just broken there's no turning back from that that's kind of the point of no return and in your specific example uh when he couldn't talk to her about it it seemed like he was kind of avoiding that specifically to admit that he had become the same as all these others that were out there killing like he didn't quite want to cross that line but he did yeah but he had to yeah right it's interesting because the the child is just as evil as the adult in that form right yeah if the child's a zombie or you know is a um, taken over by some kind of a demon, you know, a child that's, there's no coming back. Like that child's not going to go back to being a, a, a sweet, innocent child again. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like they're evil and they're disgusting and they're this, you know, horrible. They are going to kill you. They're going to kill you for sure if they can get a hold of you. 
But we still, even having that knowledge and knowing that that's the fact and that's the truth, we still have that moral quandary of like, oh, but Mm -hmm. it's a kid. Like, I can't kill a kid. But that kid will eat your face just as well as an adult will. Yeah. An adult zombie, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you always have to fight yourself because children are our future, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully not zombie children. (laughs) Because we are screwed. A different kind of future. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't... It, it's tough. It's, um, it's tough. It's, mm-hmm. I think for me, um, and I, and I have to say, you know, a lot of a, the way that I, uh, the way that I absorb horror has changed quite a bit since I've become a parent, but mm-hmm. I, I still don't feel, you know, zombies are zombies. Like I feel like, <laughs> I feel like zombie kids, especially fast moving zombies, you just don't have that much time to mm-hmm. think about it. Yeah. Like you swing your bat or you die. That's it. <laughs> Them's the rules. Yeah. And, I'm pretty sure we've seen several examples of adults who have just questioned that for too long and do get overtaken by the kids specifically mm-hmm. for that reason. Right, right. I think that's happened quite a bit in, in film, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a funny example that just came to my head was uh, what we do in the shadows. The uh, the two little girls that they meet when they're out talking to the other vampires on the street. They meet they meet the two young girl vampires and they they show them kind of off. They're talking and you see the two little girls off on the side, like sort of talking to this adult man who bends over to speak to one of them. And then the other one jumps him from behind. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's what you get for being nice to a little kid on the street. How <laughs> dare you. <laughs> Drained of your blood. <laughs> That'll teach you for having a heart. <laughs> so um, do, do you guys have anything else that you want to add to this discussion did you have any questions that we haven't covered here I think the questions have been pretty thorough here that really delved into a lot of the things that we were talking about beforehand yeah I think uh, um, I think we we keep kind of dancing around the subject of like that in all of these movies these kids are kind of being used as a device of like is evil learned or is evil something that is instilled um between the born bad and you know being overtaken by some kind of supernatural influence or uh having some kind of horrible backstory that turns them evil versus just this kid is evil there is no way around it i cannot get them back to being good um which i think is why maybe an underlying reason why kids in horror is such a a reoccurring trope uh on top of the fact that it's just really creepy like we just we just don't want to like as as a society we don't really want to accept that somebody is just born evil and there is no yeah. saving them yeah and it's really powerful to be like it's a kid of course it's going to be innocent and you know worthy of protection and uh you know something that I should trust right off yeah. the bat yeah um and when that is kind of turned around on you um it kind of goes against everything that we all have agreed upon yeah there are um there's one area that we don't have any examples in here which is totally my fault for not taking the time to put together these examples but i'm hoping one day to do an episode specifically on asian horror um japanese and korean horror in particular really use a lot of (laughs) a lot of children um that is you know where the ring came from originally uh the grudge all these films that we know with creepy children. And what's interesting to me about those areas of film in particular is they use children in a very kind of unadulterated, like just, just make them make strange noises or put them in a weird position or make them hide Mm -hmm. behind, make them hide in a closet. And that's all it takes. Like they're just scary. (laughs) Um, you know, the ring was a bit more extreme than that. I think, I, I think, um, uh, Samira was, uh, terrifying, 
as is, but you know, that final mm-hmm. scene of her climbing out of the TV is what did everybody in. Yeah. yeah. And I found it, always found it really interesting that they, that they tagged that at the end of the film, which to me was the most powerful moment in the film. Um, and that just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think Asian, Asian horror has a certain way of maybe Japanese kids are just better at being creepy. we're gonna have to look into that for our asian horror episode for sure Mm -hmm. yeah there's so much to discuss there i've seen tons of um i think more korean in particular korean films where there's like little girls at school lots of of uh, ghost stories based around little girls Mm -hmm. at school um or staircases you know always like little girls making wishes or trying to like make something happen um very very childlike sort of storylines even yeah um and it's almost like it it almost feels to me like adults trapped in a children's world sometimes in in those storylines you know where you've got all these little girls you've got some creepy little girl who something happened to and she's coming back to you know her spirit is coming back to seek revenge on everyone and just like whatever adult that happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time becomes a victim yeah um so yeah, I think they use that to particular and um, extra powerful. Um, we had two small comments today. One is from our editor Ryan Meegan, and he wants to know who or what child villain do you identify with the most? I think he's mm. trying to say we're evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he might have a point. <laughs> he might. <laughs> That's a good question, though. Dang, I haven't thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of hard to identify with a child villain, right? Yeah, it really a little is. Bit. I mean, he also asked empathize, but we sort of covered that already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we all kind of grew up nerds, and so any kind of kid that's bullied and feels like right. an outsider, I think we can kind of identify with and and feel their pain and understand why they might have turned evil. Yo, if I that was is, cool if that is the reason. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs> so the answer for all of us is Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That is that is tough. Uh, I can't say that I see dead people, so mm-hmm. I don't really identify with him. <laughs> um, uh, the, the kid from Insidious I thought was uh, pretty interesting because he is traveling along the astral plane and that's just something that really grabs me as a concept uh-huh. uh, I can't say that I really identify with that so much but I, I do think it's really cool and something that I've thought about a lot you could if you practiced <laughs> yeah I mean <laughs> clearly I'm not going to with this attitude but maybe if I just a little bit so mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't I'm trying really hard to think um I can't think of a villain that I identify with a child villain but I do yeah. feel like I identify when I was younger I identified a bit with Carolyn from the Poltergeist just because I feel like the house the family that they built for her and the household that she kind of was in reminded me a lot of my childhood like that kind of feeling as a child of like people not paying attention your parents Mm -hmm. are always busy with some adult problem or some adult argument or some you know and you kind of get left like you're kind of sitting by yourself with the tv trying to trying to check out and not you know create your own create your own happy space as a child where you know there's a lot of struggle happening in your life between the adults Mm -hmm. um and you just kind of check out you know and like and i think that's I always felt like that was kind of like why she was an easy target in that film because she was the TV had become her comfort place and had become this thing that she went to uh, to to remove herself from her family and from, you know, things that made her unhappy in her life. So she was an easy target in that. So yeah, 
It seems like Pan's Labyrinth is along that line, too, where all the adults are squabbling. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. a literal, literal war going on. And she's <laughs> just trying to create this fantasy for herself. And it becomes a little too real. Mm-hmm. Which is a whole nother, a whole nother subject, I think, is talking about, you know, a child's, uh, fantasy world, their escape world turning into a place of terror. Yeah. Oh, or, yeah. Right. Um, we had a, we had a comment on Twitter from a follower at Wolverine's Claws. <laughs> um, and he said, the most annoying kid in a horror film ever is the kid in the Babadook. <laughs> um, he said I wanted him to die so badly, which I feel bad even saying that because, come on, Andy, that kid. <laughs> The kid's dad died. He was having some problems. <laughs> he is pretty damn annoying, though. Yeah. <laughs> he was having a hard time. <laughs> it makes you really sympathize with the mother, though. I right. think that was, mm-hmm. you know, a big yeah, part of him being just annoying. Just being on wit's end. Yeah. Well, that kid was a huge pain in the ass. Although I always felt like the older sister in Pet Cemetery was one of the most incredibly annoying kids in a in a movie ever. She just had this like uh, shrieking, annoying, whiny mm-hmm. voice all the time. She's like, "Shut <laughs> up! <laughs> You're just a sister. Nobody needs to hear what you have to say." Shh. <laughs> um, so I think that wraps us up uh, for this one. We've covered a lot of material here. Yeah, I think we're going to end up having a couple more children and whore sort of related topics that are a little more centric on uh, very, very specific things here. Yeah, we just barely talked about kids who are the protagonists. Yeah. Yeah, we skimmed the surface because I yeah. think to do anything more than that would have taken us into like a three hour, four hour show. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so many specific things that we want to talk about that delve into the other sides of kids horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like Horror for Kids, which I think we're yeah. all excited for. I want to talk about goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> um, so somebody, uh, Jackie, maybe you can help me with this. What's our next topic? <laughs> Let's take a look. I know. I'm like a little brain fried this weekend. I'm sorry, everybody. Nah. Is, no. our, is our next topic our um, recommendations yeah. for... It is. Yes, it is. 31 oh, yes. Horror. Which I I'm think so excited. Everybody should be super excited about. Yeah, we've got a 31 Days of Horror list coming for you guys for October. So you can spend every night just living in the spookiness. Mm-hmm. And then, <laughs> uh, we're going to try to keep it to, you know, things you can watch on Netflix or stream easy. Yeah. And I think what we've decided we're going to do is uh, we're going to come up with this list between the three of us, right? Um, mm-hmm. We're going to kind of do some, probably do some voting, do some friendly debates. Yeah before that date and decide uh, who we want, what we want to make that list. And so it'll be a, a group list for everybody. For sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, have any extended recommendation. Yeah. yeah. If you have any suggestions or requests, be sure to tweet them at us. Cause mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's like the ultimate recommendation show. Yeah. I think we'll try to cover a lot of different genres, like genres within the genre, like topics and aliens and ghosts and all those kinds of things. <gasps> It'll be like a like a goodie bag of horror yeah. for the whole month, and you know, <laughs> kind of things that people probably haven't heard of before. Hopefully, not the well, obvious. Now, well, now we're all going to join Shutter tonight, so yeah, yeah. obviously, yeah, <laughs> we we'll get some good ideas. <laughs> okay, so Sirens of Scream is a member of the Mega Nerd Media family. Visit MegaNerdMedia.com for geek-related columns, reviews, interviews, and videos. You can reach us via email at sos at meganerdmedia.com and on Twitter at Sirens of Scream. Uh, Sierra, where can we find you? I am at Sierra Houck, S-I-E-R-R-A-H-O-U-K on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And I forgot again to mention our Tumblr. Yeah, our Tumblr, <laughs> sirensofscream.tumblr.com. 
<laughs> which Sierra is doing an amazing job with. I Thank just you. keep forgetting to put it on my list, so I apologize, <laughs> Sierra. Um, Jackie, where can listeners find you? I am Jackie the Robot, just like it sounds, at uh, Tumblr. No, no, I'm not on Tumblr. Am I on Tumblr? No, anyway, on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Sorry. You have a really oh, good there. Scully Tumblr. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got I've got a Scully on the phone Tumblr. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you also have one that's like bird heads on people or something? No, that's just my, my hobby. That's, it's it's oh. our <laughs> solo art. Cool. Yeah, your, your I think show. we need to share that link. Have we shared that link? I don't know. I should make that into a Tumblr, though. Mm-hmm. We should. That needs to be an ongoing thing. Um, and you can find me at Lissa Punch on Twitter and on Instagram. And that's a wrap for this episode. Like we said, the next time we'll be giving you guys uh, 31 days of horror to get you through to Halloween. So we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.